All right, so let's talk a little bit about the markets here. Welcome to Bull Bear Radio. Market pricing's nuts. Each week, we catch up with WBI's experts, Matt and Don Schreiber. Down 77%. You know what you need to recover from that? A miracle. WBI brings you wealth building market insights. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bull Bear Radio, episode 101. Another wonderful day in the markets. They are cooperating, uh, closed up today. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about in episode 101. Uh, We want to take a look uh, at the current taxation situation, the proposal from the administration uh, on tax reform. Uh, We're going to talk about Uh, Current fundamentals, a quick overview uh, of what's happening in the market, Uh, but we're going to spend an inordinate amount of time just talking about what a lot of people might not be thinking about given what's in uh, the current proposed tax bill, and that is the still favorable tax treatment to dividends. Uh, If you're in that group of people that are below the minimum or the maximum amount of income before the higher tax rate kicks in. So with that said, busy agenda, I'm going to turn it over to Matt and Matt's going to share some uh, brief uh, insight into the current fundamentals and then we'll move on from there. Matt, take it away. Yeah, well, you know, Rick, uh, this is uh, what we're Monday, May 3rd. We're, we're sitting right here after market close. And by the way, the Dow and the S&P were up today. Dow was leading the charge up about 70 basis points. S&P only up 27 basis points, so 0.27%. And the NASDAQ, notably, Rick, down for the day 0.48%. So in uh, a Russell 2000, turning in a nice solid day at up 0.61%. Now, you know, you were talking about dividend paying stocks value clearly making a charge here. Uh, Russell 1000 value is up 0.79% today. Russell 2000 value up 1.48% today and the growth side of the equation down for the day. So really the, the leaders here, and and we're still having some reconciliation of the numbers as we're talking here, because uh, I'm on a little bit of a delay. But generally speaking, value is just cruising. Last three months, up 13.8% and 14.8%, Russell 1000 and 2000 value, respectively. Meanwhile, 1000 growth is only up 4.3%. And down 2.87% on Russell 2000 growth. So your dividend paying stocks, your value oriented stocks are really leading the charge so far this year. I love to get paid to wait. And by the way, yeah, uh, baby, S&P 500 high dividend index up a whopping 17% on a year to date basis or not year to date, year to date basis. I should say uh, last three months. Year to date, up uh, a really solid twenty four percent. I don't even think that includes today. Twenty four percent. Yeah, S and P only up oh twelve, my. for example. So you know, the, by and large, 
dividend payers are are back and they haven't been back for a long time. So really interesting there. Moving on to fundamentals, right? We've been talking about this on, on Bull Bear Radio for some Holy time. Holy moly, what fundamentals? Trailing PE has been out of this world, but it's down. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I was saying it was in the mid 40s. Now we're sitting at about 39. And that got me thinking, well, hey, the market's up slightly. But to actually have a compression and get to 39, you have to have some really good earnings, man. So here, here's the scoop on that. And, and I, I, I like the, the dividend docs uh, comments on this a little bit, but man, do we have, uh, we've got some fundamentals here. So here, here it is through today, 305 companies reporting S and P 500, and we've got sales growth, revenue growth of 11% across the board and earnings growth. Check this out. 50%. There you go. That's why we've got, wow. that's why the PE multiples coming down. It's because earnings are blasting forward, which is what we talked about over the last couple of uh, uh uh, episodes here on uh, bull bear radio, which is there's two things that have to have one of two things have to happen. Stocks have to fall to reconcile the PE overvaluation or earnings have to be so strong that they actually outpace the growth in share price, which is what's happening right now. So check this out, right? Best performing sector from a revenue perspective is <laughs> Technology, not a shock there. Uh, about half the companies reporting, 81 companies reporting, or 80, 81 companies, 41 reporting, tw- up 23% revenue growth. Uh, consumer discretionary, not far behind, 21% revenue growth. And, and a lot of the only negative so far is industrials down 1.95%. Everything else is in the green, positive. And by the way, next quarter, we're talking revenue growth projected of just under 20%, if you can believe that. And earnings growth, even higher next quarter, 60% earnings growth. Now, the comparable would be over a pretty bad quarter, obviously, last year. But, you know, still really positive movement to the upside here. Hey, man, on large cap stocks, S&P 500 index, let's talk about some of the just unbelievable stats we've got here. Materials, all right? So this is your uh, reflation story, your economic recovery story, the materials that go into goods and services, you know, know, unbelievable. We've got 17% sales growth and 109% earnings growth that that's right folks 109 percent and not to be not to be outshined at all consumer discretionary you know last quarter earnings for americans were up 21 income was up 21 percent one of the biggest uh increases on record i think it's the second largest increase ever for a quarter and, you know, you can thank Uncle Sam for that. Most recently, Uncle Joe Biden, our president, he's going to pump, the, pump, 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 pump this thing. At any rate, 
Um, we've got consumer pump, discretionary pump it up, man. Pump with it up. 23 and a half percent sales growth and 131 percent earnings growth. That's, you know, Amazon's doing really, really no, well, man. It just isn't Amazon. See, that's the it's thing. across the board. When, now. You, when you start to get deeper into these, you know, it's not like a, just one company that's doing great. There's a lot of companies that are doing great. The material sector, right, as uh, about half reporting at the moment uh, with that uh, growth. And it's pretty insane. And, you know, people keep talking about Facebook and Amazon, Netflix and Google earnings. Like, I care more about the material sector here and some of the bargain basement values that are here with great blockbuster earnings. And when people start to pay attention, these things could actually go up in value. Hey, listen, one of the big value sectors that is absolutely not participated in the S&P 500 growth over the last five years has been financials. And it is so far this quarter, wow. right? We're talking about a 10% sales growth and 146% earnings growth. That's right, folks. 146, it's the top of the table leader. And you can see this is the value trade coming back in a big way. Materials, financials, big time, big time uh, value leaning. So check sectors. this out. 316 of 417 reporting in the Russell 2000. You want to talk about financials, sales growth, revenue growth of 27% for those small cap banks right that have gone nowhere over the last like decade from a price perspective check the earnings growth 285% are you kidding me man i'm telling you what you know bank earnings look awfully healthy given the fact that we're going into a recovery cycle and people are talking tech 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 who cares man well <laughs> banks dude are cheap hey Banks are banks are cheap. Communications company. There's not that many of them on the small cap side. They are participating with 292 percent earnings growth, sales growth down, but earnings growth way up. And, you know, that's also a good thing. Consumer discretionary, very strong technology, very strong in the small and mid cap sector. We've got materials as the number one top of the table leader in the small uh, uh, in, in mid cap stock area, 346% earnings growth with 31% sales growth. I mean, that is just incredible. So we do have a pretty broad based economic recovery and profit recovery going on. And, you know, if this can sustain itself, we're going to see valuations come down quite a bit. That doesn't for me, Make me believe that this is not an overvalued market. We got a long, long way to go, folks, before we get, you know, these overheated prices to come down to reality. We need some really long-term hard-charging earnings growth. We're coming out of a huge earnings recession. We're looking at Q1 of this year over Q1 of last year. And last year, every single sector had absolutely gotten eviscerated on the earnings side eviscerated because of the pandemic so we've got easy comparisons we get into the next quarter and the quarter after and the quarter after comparisons are going to get much more difficult and we're likely to see 
um, not quite so stellar growth rates in both sales and earnings. Don, I, I, we all remember 2014 uh, through 2016, where uh, the market kept going up and up and up, and we had earnings revenue declining. Uh, different reasons at that time. Uh, you know, this, of course, has been uh, prompted and driven by COVID. Are there any similarities in structurally? Uh, are the companies in a better position today to recover than they were in 14, 15, and, and 16? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see really um, that comparison. I think that, you know, we've got, um, you know, the, the stock market was going up because of the Fed, right? At that time, the Fed was supporting uh, stock prices with their, uh, you know, tremendous monetary policy. They had, uh, you know, the tanks and the bazookas and everything firing all at the same time to uh, keep us, you know, from uh, falling back into recession. And, um, you know, I think that that's what held stock prices up even though we had negative earnings, the market tends to look through to the next phase. Well, is the next phase going to be a continuation of really strong economic growth and earnings growth, or is it going to cool off? I don't know. It depends on what happens next with stimulus and with infrastructure. You know, uh, you know, the Biden plans are just full of, Lots of free cash for everybody. Yeah, it's a six trillion dollar uh, uh, tab at the moment. It's a four trillion dollar new tab on top of the two trillion dollars that we just, just got passed. Yeah, we just expended. So you're talking about four trillion dollars, by the way, folks. I don't know if you find that to be a scary number, but you know, our our uh, uh, even in the COVID year where we were doing tremendous government support and bailout to an economy that was completely eviscerated by the pandemic. That was a $4 trillion tab in terms of the growth in our deficit. This proposal for these two new uh, policies are $4 trillion. In well, this we haven't even gotten the negative exp uh, expense that we're going to spend this I year. Think this leads we're talking about probably close to $10 trillion bucks this year in deficit ex deficit expansion if this thing goes through this well way. you know that's where that the taxation situation comes in that scares me man. that's where the taxation situation find, comes in I, man i find 10 trillion dollars to be a little insane well what do you got to do to make up for it taxes grow. well taxes oh grow. yeah grow grow would be nice you know there used to be this saying you know without uh, growth Grow you or can die. do anything you want to to the tax rates. Grow or die, man. With no growth, nobody makes any money, and nobody raises taxes. It's, it's like this whole thing is smoke and mirrors. So what you're trying to say? I mean, I mean, you know, live or die, man. For a while, it's been live or die here, but you know, after a while, it's grow or die. Got to grow. Got to grow. Got to grow. Got to grow. Can't tax your way out of the out of the spending either. You got you got to grow. You can't give your give away. You can't create a giveaway based economy either because that won't work. That's a short term fix. We All need, right. We need well big time the, long term infrastructure. Well, the administration seems to be 
you know, very bullish on what's happening. Otherwise, I don't think they would have, even though it's something they need to do, uh, this tax proposal, uh, let's talk a little bit about what it means for the people that have retired or are close to retirement, uh, that have planned well, saved well, and the business owner who's built a good business and now is ready to step aside and uh, benefit from the fruits of their labor. Uh, but we now have a new hurdle we have to deal with. If you make too much, the government is going to keep more than they ever have. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, a lot of thoughts, you know, on, on, uh, you know, this, you know, so far we know that it looks like for earners of, uh, about 400,000 a year single or, uh, joint filers, uh, 500,000 ordinary income rates are going up, um, from 37% to over 39%. And then, uh, we're going to have corporate taxes go from uh, current rate to back up to 28%, I think I saw, if I'm not mistaken. So corporations are going to pay more, loopholes are going to be closed. And then the real boogeyman in the closet here is that uh, ordinary income rates are going to apply to capital gains, but more specifically for those people that have ordinary income of over a million dollars, your cap gains tax is going to be 42%. Ordinary income or capital gains income. That's or, right. Right? Right. Dividend income. Yeah. So if you have a big everything pile. Over, everything over a million dollars of income is going to be taxed as uh, ordinary income at rates of 396 plus the Medicare tax of 3.8, you're at 43.4. If you're living in a high-tax state like uh, New Jersey uh, or Connecticut or, or New California York. or New York. New York just went add, up 1%. Add 10% minimum on top of that, and you're up in the 54% range. So, you know, I got to tell you, one of the things that scares me to death is that, you know, for the absolute 20 to 30 million business owners, small family owned businesses that have been building their businesses an enterprise to, value to be able to sell at some point in time to fund their retirement. That's all they've got to count on is the capital from the business sale typically. And if they happen to have a million dollars of income with their capital gain, they get absolutely destroyed Mm -hmm. by this by this tax uh, uh yeah and if you're situation. and if you already have uh monetized right and you have uh ordinary income from your underlying investments of a million dollars a year you'd still be subject to the tax now for folks that are under you know this level of a million dollars of earned income or investment income per year it's still a bit of a conundrum because you know, uh, ordinary income rates are still high. So your bond interest from high yield bonds or corporate bonds is taxed at ordinary income rates. So even if you don't have a million dollars, you're going to be subject to a little bit higher at the margins tax potentially. And you want to be thinking about strategies to mitigate those taxes. And so for folks who are under the million dollar threshold, 
dividend paying stocks, right? If it's income over a million dollars, dividend paying stocks, it does this, this, what I'm going to say here doesn't matter, but under dividend paying stocks are still going to be treated preferentially at, uh, you know, the, uh, GW tax rate. Hey, listen, dividends are going to be a tax bonanza. Tax bonanza for tax 90, bonanza. 95% of investors who don't have, you know, tens of millions of dollars invested, which is, you know, most everybody, they're going to be able to get that low 20% tax rate in a rising tax environment. And that is going to be unbelievable because, you know, not only do you get the income, you typically from dividends get rising income over time. Uh, as companies uh, increase their income uh, or their dividend rates with profits, it helps you keep pace with inflation, which is absolutely critical for a uh, retired person. And dividend paying stocks are going to be uh, phenomenal, you know, just phenomenal as retirement income uh, funding tools. And so, uh, you know, the focus is going to turn away from you know, uh, many of the other areas, and we're going to get into, uh, you know, a, uh, a dividend uh, focused uh, group of investors, only about 70 to 80 million of them who are seniors with fairly large accounts. And I think that that bodes very well for dividend paying stocks in general. Yeah. So go ahead, Matt. So one thing I was going to say, leaning into what Don was saying, you know, those companies, uh, that uh, we're in the dividend, uh, I mean, in the S&P 500, right? Uh, from 1973, actually the beginning of 19, the beginning of 1973 through the end of last year, equal weighted S&P 500 total return. Uh, you got 7.9% per year and a hundred dollars grew to $3,700, 3,764. Those companies that did not pay dividends, only had a return of 4.5% per year and $100 grew to $844. Now the whopper here, the dividend growers and initiators from 1973 to the end of last year, 10.4% per year and $100 grew to $11,346. Wow. Dividend paying stocks with the compounding and the income are where it's at, man. And they're taxed better. Dividend paying stocks pay off, brother. Whew. Let's let's look at that for a second. Uh, people traditionally, uh, as they've moved into retirement, they've stopped accumulating. Now it's about protecting and wealth, uh, distributing that income. Uh, in a normal interest rate environment, which we haven't seen, I've forgotten what that looks like in terms of Fed support, uh, low interest rates. Uh, it has become very, very difficult for somebody to invest the way they, their grandparents did or even their parents. Uh, it, it's different today. Uh, so if you look at that, you look at valuations in the markets, long-term owning dividend paying companies perform better than non-dividend paying companies or companies that are more growth oriented. Uh, how can I, as an investor, feel good about allocating resources there, given the fact that there's a lot of risk in the market and I'm maybe owning more equities than I normally would, or at least historically, I've been told I should own. 
Well, you know, risk is always a big factor, but uh, you know, when, when you have a, uh, an income need, if you can generate uh, close to your income withdrawal need or your income withdrawal need, let's assume it's uh, 4% a year uh, based on your capital base. If you can get generate 4% uh, from a dividend uh, based portfolio, you don't need to worry about the value so much. As long as the, the, the 4% dividend is in quality companies and that check in the mailbox, which is what you're counting on is really the thing that's, that that's the key. So I think that um, what we want to do is we want to have some of that in your portfolio and, you know, it always helps to have some risk mitigation uh, along the way. Um, You can have both, uh, you know, risk uh, protection and dividend paying stocks, depending on whether or not you uh, actively manage the risk side. You know, that's one of the hallmarks of what we do. We don't believe in taking really big losses if you can prevent it. And, um, you know, the dividend yield on the S&P, if you can believe this, is 1.2%. Wow. So, you know, dividend yields as prices have soared have really um, collapsed. So a new investor, you know, today is only going to get from the S&P 500, which is a collection of dividend payers and non-dividend payers. Most of the, I think uh, 70 or 75% of the stocks in the S&P do pay a dividend, but a 1.2% yield is not going to do too much for you. And so you have to search for those companies that have quality financials with higher dividends. You know, that's what, uh, you know, we built our business on. We kind of wrote the book on it, Um, you know, all about dividend investing from McGraw-Hill. Um, uh, so a few years back and, uh, you know, dividend, uh, paying stocks, we think are the, um, a- absolutely the, the foundation of a retirement income portfolio. So I think that, you know, with the tax, uh, benefit that you get and with the fact that values back in some of the sectors we talked about, you know, materials, financials, et cetera, are really uh, performing quite nicely, both from the earnings standpoint and from a price standpoint, um, you know, appreciation in these stocks. I think it's a good time. It's a great time to be a dividend investor. Uh, typically, when we get economic recoveries, it's the dividend paying stocks that really perform the best. Do you see ETFs, uh, which have grown uh, in offerings in terms of numbers, uh, expand logarithmically uh, with all of this tax talk. Uh, do we see ETFs becoming really the new norm, the benchmark on which you build a successful strategy on? Yeah, you know, um, uh, like we were saying, dividend payers are taxed preferentially. ETFs also are taxed uh, typically preferentially in that they do not for the vast majority of ETFs have the proclivity to uh, distribute capital gains. So like um, mutual funds, mutual funds tend to distribute their capital gains and it can be a really significant problem uh, with embedded capital gains for a new investor. You don't have that problem with ETFs. And so the ETF is a far more tax efficient vehicle Uh, And that tax efficiency is gained in a variety of different ways, but um, the tax efficiency is uh, created through the creation and redemption process, which is also fundamental to ETF liquidity. So bottom line is ETFs 
can be very, very tax efficient. And if you're looking to own stocks, is a nice way to own stocks without being on the hook for embedded capital gains. Um, you, obviously, you'd have your basis. And if you exit at some point in the future, you'd be on the hook for capital gains relative to your basis, but far more tax efficient than a mutual fund um, and uh, should be a part of the mix as far as we're concerned. You know, for uh, advisors and investors out there, um, you know, the, the silver lining, if there is one in a rising tax environment is that people need more planning. And so, you know, uh, qualified plan, uh, uh, are going to be really big, you know, for, uh, folks that are out there, there's many, 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 uh, of the re you know, people who are retired and are working part-time or starting new businesses. And those folks can shelter, you know, most of their income, uh, from taxation with qualified plan assets if they don't need to spend it. So, uh, there is just going to be a tremendous opportunity, I believe for both income tax and estate tax planning. Um, you know, like the good old days, I've been in the business for a long time, like you have, uh, Rick, about 40 years for me. And, um, back in the day in the eighties and nineties, man, you know, 